The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Now we have two guests to join us in our first item. This report, which has been done from the Mandate Trade Union about the earning capacity of retail workers. Uh, Jerry Light, as General Secretary of Mandate, tell us more about nearly only two thirds of retail workers earning less than four hundred and fifty-one euro per week. Good evening, Matt, and uh, thanks for having us on. Yeah, we launched a uh, survey today uh, called uh, Smoke and Mirrors. It's based on the findings of a survey that uh, report today, based on the finding of a survey of 3,000 of our, our members. And it's an effort to sort of continue to shine a light on the low levels uh, and precarious working arrangements across the retail sector. And as you quite rightly say, nearly two-thirds of those who participated in the, the survey identified themselves as earning less than 451 euro a, a week. But one of the critical things I think that, uh, that uh, came out of the report is that um, there's a combination of factors here. Obviously, uh, low hourly rates of pay is one thing, but one of the other major factors is, again, uh, is the fact that uh, a lot of these workers cannot uh, access uh, sufficient weekly hours Why to be not? able to lift them. Well, just simply, uh, they're, they're not being given them. Uh, we find, and it's our experience, uh, it's long-established experience, that uh, hours, the incremental pay scales in the retail sector, hours tend to be distributed to the, to the lower points on those incremental uh, pay scales. Um, and also, uh, it is true to say, I'd say, based on real experience of our members across retail, that hours can be manipulated for control purposes by certain employers as well, whether that be uh, for discipline purposes, coercive uh, purposes, or indeed costs as well. Uh, and we're saying really that the balance lies too much in favour of employers, that something needs to be done in respect of giving uh, workers better access to additional hours when they become available. Yeah, take us through the hours that are available. For those that four hundred and fifty-one euro uh, that they earn per week, how many hours are they likely to be doing? Well, again, the survey uh, showed uh, that um, the average uh, national weekly average, uh, based on what we found in the survey, uh, the, the respondents are working about seventy-two percent of the national weekly average. Now, we did uh, introduce uh, in 2018 the Employment Miscellaneous Proficiency Act, which was a, a move in the right direction, where workers now, right across every sector, private and public, have a right now to be put on a banded hours arrangement, which properly reflects the hours that they're actually working. But what we find, not only in respect of the application of the law, but we also find it in respect of some collective agreements that we've done for banded hours with uh, certain employers, that the banded hours structure, that the the band, the the minimum level, the, 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 the lower level of the band is being used as a ceiling as opposed to a floor. So, you know, that needs to be looked at. And as I say, we believe this report is very timely. The legislation that I've just referred to is in place since 2018. Like most pieces of legislation, it's subject to review, whether it's three every three years or every five years. And what we're saying in respect to that, 
that bandit structure needs to be looked at. But specifically now, we say that the legislation should be amended to give workers a realistic opportunity to access available hours when they become available and also put an onus on employer, uh, employers to be able to sort of, you know, uh, put up a, a case and prove a case why those hours are being denied uh, to those workers. Neil MacDonald is Chief Executive of ISME, representing small and medium enterprises. What do you make of this? Well, first of all, Matt, we absolutely understand the desire of, of those workers who are suffering the cost of living crisis at the minute. Uh, both to increase their hours worked uh, and the hourly rate for, for that hours worked. Um, but but I think, you know, the, there's a, a considerable amount of uh, um, devil in the detail in this report. I mean, while Jerry is right, 40% of workers uh, surveyed in this report did want to work more hours in the week. 60% did not. Um, and of those who did want to work more, um, only 20% of those were prevented by their employer from getting the extra hours. In other words, there were there were other things, there were lifestyle issues preventing them from doing so. Um, and one of the things we find in the, in the, not just in the retail sector, but considerably in the retail sector and also in, an, in a lot of other parts of the service sector, is there's a considerable lifestyle um, aspect to it. In other words, a lot of workers choose that sector simply because of the ability um, not not just to have the banded um, hour structure that Jerry is talking about, but to be able to pick and choose with a, a fair degree of flexibility when they can't and when they don't want to work for all sorts of reasons, such as childcare or elderly care or whatever. So, so there's a lot more going on to this, uh, going going on behind this report than simply workers being denied extra hours by their employers. What do you say to that, Jerry Light? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with Neil in respect of sort of the, the, the levels of workers who want is indicated to want more hours. But let's be very clear. We're talking about not people who work part-time hours here on a voluntary basis. We're talking about involuntary work in the part-time hours. And there's a significant amount of workers. And if this research is anything to go on, I mean, these were union members. One can only imagine what's going right across the whole retail sector who want more hours. And all they're asking their employer to do is to give them a reasonable shot at those hours. And along with the access to the hours, Matt, there was three other, well, there was eight recommendations in the report, but two other key recommendations were also calling for the introduction of an, a, a cost of living hourly rate of €14 Euro an hour. And another issue which has been a bugbear of this union for a long time is also the eradication of the sub-minimum rate on the, uh, the, the statutory minimum wage, where we still have young people entering into employment who are being asked to uh, possibly uh, spend up to three years on sub-minimum rates until they get to the priestly sum of the minimum wage uh, uh, that's currently in place of 1130 now, that is discrimination by no other name. Age discrimination is outlawed uh, by, through the equality legislation. And that cannot be sustained either. So it's a suite of measures like that we're looking at. But I absolutely take on board the point that those who want to work voluntary and who are willing to work so because it's a lifestyle choice or for any reason, we're not seeking to interfere with that. 
But we are trying to focus on those who have no other option to be told that's all you're getting and there's no reasonable access to more hours if they yeah, become available. Yeah, Christine MacDonald, it stands to logic and I actually have been told of cases of people I know in recent times have had the experience of not getting the additional hours that they needed because there was somebody younger on a lower rate available to work instead of them, particularly part-time students or whatever uh, who might actually uh, be below the minimum wage so therefore cheaper for the employer. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware that those uh, exist. I've, I've daughters in that position myself, Matt. Um, I will say in relation to those, though, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the sub-minimum uh, wage hours have been justified for a long time on the basis that you are not getting a fully experienced worker. You are getting a worker that does require in general, a greater level of supervision um, than than an adult worker. I, I would say that, you know, we have to be careful what we wish for here. If we eliminate um, those uh, sub-minimal hours for, for underage workers, you know, the number of those that will be available or who will make themselves um, available or who, rather who will be chosen by employers to work is very likely to reduce because, you know, given the choice between an adult worker or, or a younger worker, if they're both getting the minimum wage, the, the employer's likely to opt for the more mature worker. So we just have to be very careful here. It is, it is not a discriminatory measure, it has to be said, and the law has not found it to be a, a discriminatory measure. Listener here says, I have a butcher's shop in Delhi in a small village. There's me and three others working here. We are busy, but we're still struggling with the bills, etc. If people in this industry are to be paid better, the consumer will end up having to pay more for their food. I'm two years into paying back a five-year loan to take over the business, so I don't take wages every week myself. Luckily, I only have a small mortgage. We need to look at the big retailers selling at cost price or below. This is killing our industry. So could it be the case, Neil, that if you did actually have uh, more money having to go out, that it will be reflected in higher prices for goods and services? Oh, there's no question about that, Matt. And, you know, I've been at the the table in the Department of Enterprise with Jerry, and we've had a retailer there who said, look, if if this comes in, you know, especially if we move to a minimum, uh, sorry, a, a living wage uh, structure, because you know the, the, there's very few uh, businesses and none that we represent that are actually paying the minimum wage, but they do factor uh, their wage structure off the minimum wage. In other words, people could be contracted to minimum wage plus a euro fifty or plus two hour, two euros and so on. So so if we do impose that level of cost uh, increase. Um, you know, one of the representatives I had uh, in front with the enterprise minister said that would result in a 4 to 5% increase in grocery costs. Now, the other thing, Matt, let us not forget that it could uh, also result in is a reduced level of employment because increasingly what we are seeing is automated uh, tellers in a, in a lot of stores. And, you know, it, it is the big stores that started with those, but you can increasingly see those in a lot of convenience stores and news agents now where there's at least one automated teller. So we we do need to be careful that, you know, in, in, in the press for greater hours and greater wages that we don't actually reduce the level of employment in the sector. Yeah, Jerry. how much of a concern is that, that you get a greater level of automation and you just eliminate jobs? Well, I think there's a couple of debates we could have here, Matt, covering a range of issues, uh, one being the impact of online shopping and automation. That's a separate matter entirely, you know, and I think that's having a greater impact and effect 
on the ability to sustain traditional uh, bricks and mortar retail jobs into the future. The debate about sort of whether automatically a worker looks for a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, whether it automatically uh, translates into an increase in, in, in prices to the customer, again, that could be the, uh, debated at length because it doesn't automatically mean that that has to be the end result. There could also be a reduction in the profits being taken out of the successful companies. I do understand the business and the last two years have been struggling, but business have received tremendous support from the state over the last uh, two years. Hopefully we've, we've come out through COVID now and we've seen the back of it. But one thing we can't afford is that to ensure that low pay is sort of becomes endemic and it, it, it remains at a very persistent level, in our society, we cannot look to the government to directly sort of subsidise low pay. And unfortunately, Matt, unless we deal with some of the issues that we've identified in the report here today, that's going to continue to be the case because we have a lot of these workers who are relying on the working family supplement just to get by. Now, that's the state directly subsidising low pay. And no commercial entity should have to depend on that or expect to depend on that. Sure, I agree with all the other arguments that the state has a role to play in the provision of affordable childcare and housing, which are major factors for our members and low-paid workers generally, because disproportionately they're impacted greater with the current cost of living crisis. So that's the reason we need to act. The legislation is there now. It can be amended and it should be done sooner rather than later. Jerry Light of Mandate, Neil MacDonald of Ismi, thank you both. Here's a listener who says, I work in my retail job. I've done so for 21 years. I was on €11 an hour. Now I'm on the minimum wage at 11.30. The same wage as kids just over 18 are getting now, says that listener. Uh, Then we have others supporting that uh, small business owner who was in touch a couple of moments ago. And one listener says, the cost of housing is the issue. The bulk of people's income goes towards it and as it happens that's something Charlie Weston's going to be talking about in a moment uh, how much more you're paying on your mortgage compared to this time last year he'll join us for our weekly personal finance spot after the traffic with Alex Rowley The Last Word with Matt Cooper Weekdays from 4.30 Today F-